0: Okay, so um, the title of my talk today is What's in a Name? Okay, and to start us off, I wanted to just um, get into um, a little group around you, have a little discussion, and what we're going to talk about is the meaning of your name. So I want you to share what your name is um, to the people around you, and what does your name mean? If you don't know, see if anyone in the group knows what your name means, okay? So um, have a little discussion, we'll feedback. Okay, let's um, let's bring the conversation to a close. So let's have, um, let's have a bit of feedback. So anyone anyone want to share what your name is, what it means? Anyone learn something new today? Yeah, go on. My name is Yuxian. Uh, means uh, cherished. <laughs> That's lovely. That is. Anyone else? Um, my my Chinese name the second character is min tree and the third character means crystal clear and evergreen so my dad wants me to be as green and as clear crystal clear as a tree oh. very lovely uh anyone else anyone learn for the first time what your name means today <laughs> that'd be that'd be a good experience wouldn't it Anyone want to share what your name means? Yeah. My name's Cristobal, so it means Christ. So it's Cristobal Christ. Very good. Okay. Thank you for that. That's good. Um, All right. So we're talking about names and what they mean. I think in our culture, we don't really emphasize the meaning of names very much. I think that, you know, Sometimes people don't know the meaning of their name, they find out later on in the Bible. The meaning of names was very, very important um, because um, you know, people would actually um, decide a name for their child based on the meaning. And sometimes God would actually say, This is what this person needs to be called because of that name meaning. And sometimes He gave a new name, um, they reveal an identity. So, here's an example Jacob. I don't think there's any Jacobs here, is there? Jacob means deceiver. Um, and he became that. When he wrestled with God, everything changed. Okay. Um, God gave him a new name. He became in the story, he deceived his brother Esau. Um, but when um God uh, wrestled, when he wrestled with God in um in the story when he wrest it says he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, which and Ken has spoken about this, that um Really, he's, he's talking about God because he said, I um, saw God face to face. I wrestled with God and, and won. Um, but anyway, that's another story. But he gave him a new name, and his new name was Israel, okay? And he became, you know, the father of the, the Israelite nation. So that's just one example of how God actually changed someone's name, and it actually changed the course of their life and their destiny. So um, the Bible is full of this. But what is the most important name? I don't know if this works. Oh, yeah, that would help, wouldn't it? There we go. What's in your name? Uh, This, I think, is the most important question, is what is God's name? And really, tied to that question is, who is God? This is what people, um, I think, are asking. This is what people need to know. I think this is the most important question in life or at least one of the most important questions. Who is God? What is he like? What is his nature? What is his character? And um, we often try and make God in our own image. So we come up with a God that looks a bit like us, um, or we want to have a God that fits our agenda. So we want to be the God in our life, okay? And we want God to sort of fit around the decisions that we make and the things that we think are important and right. But I think that we should start off in life and assume that we know nothing about God um, unless we go to the right source, and you know we can know if we if we do that, and you know the right source being scripture god reveal, uh, revealing himself sc- through scripture um, and that 's really obviously the the place to start with, because scripture is the place where God has shown us his nature he 's disclosed himself to us it 's the story of God. Sometimes we make the story about us, we obviously feature in there, Um, it's the story of God's relationship with us, but he is the most important person throughout the whole thing. And in scripture, there's quite an emphasis on his name, because his name reveals a lot about him. So what is the name of God? There are actually quite a lot of different names that God attributes to himself, and some of them have Additions to them, for example, we have Jehovah Jireh, which is provider, Jehovah Rapha, which means healer. And um, I'm going to get more into what Jehovah means um, in a bit. But we start off in creation, and in creation, in Genesis 1, we start with the word Elohim, okay? And that is what's used throughout Genesis 1 and throughout other parts of the Bible as well. And Elohim is not really a name, it's more of a title, Um, it's more of a description. Um, It's the plural of Eloah. So even from the beginning, we have this idea of the plurality of God, the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this word is used um, also to describe other gods. And um, for example, the gods of Egypt, Um, it says... um, Okay, so this is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Um, In um, Exodus 12.12... it says, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And it uses the word Elohim. All the Elohim of Egypt, I will execute judgment. So it's interesting that this word is not just used to describe God who you know we worship. It's also used to describe other gods. And not only other gods, um, but human rulers as well. So... Really, you could say that Elohim means a being of significance or power, so sometimes in scripture, even human beings are dis- used to describe um, they, they use this word to describe um, them so um, sometimes it's referred to angelic beings, and I think that that's what it is referring to when it says the Egyptian gods God is judging the gods of Egypt because they're real spiritual powers and It's God who is the one who is creator over all of them. Um, So we have next, uh, we go forward in the story, and we have Abraham. And in the story of Abraham, we have this um, name, El Shaddai. And El is a Canaanite word for God, one of the creator gods. So we have to remember that Abraham came from... um, a place where there were lots of gods being worshipped, okay, lots of gods, and um, the word El was one of the creator gods in the Canaanite mythology, it could be seen as a shortening of Elohim, um, but really it just means a creator god, okay, or the creator god, as really we have here, and Shaddai means almighty, okay, so we have El and Shaddai. And together we have God Almighty. so what that means is is that God is setting himself as supreme over all the other gods that they worshiped, because God was bringing Abraham out of that land and into a promised land that he was leading him to, where you know they weren't going to be worshiping those other gods, but it was just going to be um, you know they were just going to worship um, the true God, God Almighty, okay. And in the story um, of Abraham, um, it says this. When, so this is when he was still called Abraham, before he changed, God changed his name. Um, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God, or I am El Shaddai. Um, walk before me and be blameless. So already here, there's something more to his name. He's not just a being of significance. He's not just a powerful being. He's not just a god, he is God almighty. He's the most mighty of all the other spiritual powers. And we know why that is, is because he created all the other spiritual powers. OK? And in this, there's not only a statement of his name, but a statement of um, "Come and walk with me and be blameless. Come with me." An invitation to be his friend, to be his follower. Um, And with Abraham, I'm not going into detail here, but with Abraham, there was a covenant with Abraham. God established a covenant, meaning that he was in this binding relationship where there were terms of agreement where um, God was going to be faithful to Abraham. And he expected Abraham to be faithful to him, but God actually um, was the one who would meet both terms of the covenant. So, Um, we have El Shaddai, and if we move forward, we get to Moses, and um, this is the name that is given to us in the story of Moses. It's Yahweh, and this actually is really the proper name of God. The others are kind of titles. They give us a description of God's position in in the universe. This one gives us Something about his character, about his nature, that is more um, important. And in Hebrew, there are no vowels in in this, so it's Y H uh, W H or Yah for short, um, as well. And if you know the word Hallelujah, that's actually praise Yah. That's what what it means. Um, so Jehovah, which you might have heard all, as well, we sing songs that have Jehovah in, is a Latin equivalent of this name, Yahweh. Um, And it's just converting the letters into Latin letters. Now, the Hebrews didn't like to write this name down because they considered it too holy. So what they did was, in the scriptures, wherever this name appeared, they changed the word to Adonai. And Adonai means Lord. So whenever you see the word Lord in capitals in scripture, actually this is what it is in hebrew and i want you to think about that for a minute the significance because it really makes it brings it personal sometimes i think when we hear the word the lord we get used to hearing the lord did this the lord said this the lord thought this but actually it's his name it's yahweh it's his name god is a personal god he's not just a force he's not just some power over there you know like we think of you know, none of us really know the. We don't know the, the the people that, um, you know, that run this this world and the people that run the country. You know, we might see them on TV, but they're kind of a distance to us. Sometimes we see God in the same way, but actually, we need to know His name. We need to re- uh, recognize His name and understand that He is a person. And He, and as we get to know Him more. Um, you know he becomes more familiar with us, and that 's his desire in our um in our lives so um we have let 's look at the story um i 've done that so this is i 've kind of skipped ahead here so this is what happened when God actually gave Moses this name. he said, um, he came to meet him in the burning bush, okay, and um, he met him in the fire. And God wanted Moses to go to back to Egypt to uh, rescue the Israelites, to go and confront Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. Okay, Moses, um, as you, as we remember, was a bit scared of this, and he didn't want to go. Um, and Moses, and God said, don't worry, I'll be with you. Now, I remember that Egypt was a place where there were lots of gods as well. So it was very important for him to, to ask this question. He said, um, To God, he said, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So it's a long, convoluted way of saying, What is your name? Apparently, in Hebrew, they didn't really have um, this kind of um, sentence, What is your name? But really, the reading of Moses' question is, What is the meaning or significance of your name? That's kind of what he's getting at. What is the meaning of your name? Because he wanted to know, um, that's what he really wanted to know. Okay? And he also wanted to know this so that he was able to identify this is the God who we're talking about here. We're not talking about Ra or whatever other Egyptian gods they had. We're talking about this God. Um, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, so what is the meaning or, or, or significance of your name? God res- uh, responded to Moses I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Um, Which is a strange phrase. Okay? I am. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Now, as I said, for the Israelites in Egypt, this was important. Um, getting god's name, the the right God that he was talking about, and he also identified himself with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that they worshipped, okay, And we see a bit of a parallel in the New Testament when Paul refers to God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's speaking specifically about God being this God, associated with these people who worshipped him, associated with Jesus. He's Jesus' Father. Okay, He's not just some um, distant deity. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes it more personal. And God makes a point here to say that his name um, is... Not just something for the Old Testament, it's for all generations. This is my name forever and my memorial to all generations. It's his eternal name. So let's look at the meaning of this. We, this actually can be translated as I am um, who I am or I will be what I will be or I'll be who I will be. And in other words, we have the concept of consistency, God's consistency consistency. God never changes. Um, his nature is not dependent on us. He's not de- dependent on whatever you want, whatever we want. It's not dependent on anything else. Okay? Um, we live in a culture where truth is being eroded. We live in a culture is where truth is whatever you want it to be, whatever I want it to be, whatever, um, it, whatever you feel. Okay? what you feel is the most important thing. And I think if you talk to young people and children, um, you might be surprised how much that culture has affected the young generations um, in terms of this concept and idea of truth in what is right and wrong, what is true and false. People say, well, you know, truth is, there's no real objective truth, it's just whatever you think is your, you can make your own truth, but you can't do that with God. In fact you can't do that with truth, but certainly not with God you can't make God whatever you want him to be you can't make Him in your own image God is who He is okay and we need to change our lives according to Him, not the other way around and I think this is partly what it means to to fear God because the Bible says a fear of God is the beginning of wisdom the world um, has there's very little fear of God of God in the world today, and I think because The world expects God to fit in with our agenda. So let's fast forward to Jesus. By the way, I just wanted to say, I forgot to say this at the beginning. A lot of the things in my talk today, I've um, um, sort of borrowed from, there's a book called, um, what's it called? It's by John Mark Comer. It's called God Has a Name. And so if you want to read more, if you want to understand more, it's a really good book. There's also a series on YouTube where he breaks this down. I've tried to summarize a lot in one talk. Um, So it's called God Has a Name. But anyway, let's move on. Um, Jesus. Uh, We'll go to Jesus. His name in Hebrew is uh, Yehoshua, and it can be shortened to Yeshua. And that means Yahweh is salvation. Okay? It's the equivalent name to Joshua. um, In Greek, I think it is. So uh, Joshua is... Basically the same name. So that was what he was called in Hebrew. But notice the meaning is far deeper than um, just Yahweh brings salvation. He is salvation. So even Jesus' name points to him being Yahweh himself, the embodiment, because he's our salvation. He is our salvation. Jesus is not just the giver of salvation. He, salvation is wrapped up within him. And also he is the embodiment of Yahweh okay so um he reinforced this when he was having an argument with the pharisees and he said to them before abraham was i am and he used the same word that god used when he met with moses in the burning bush he used the same hebrew word which was yahweh um although it wasn't actually hebrew i think jesus was speaking in greek so uh sorry was it greek aramaic thank you and so that was translated back and it would have translated the same way before abraham was i am so jesus is declaring himself the embodiment of yahweh which is significant that is why they wanted to stone him that's why the the religious leaders ended up um crucify or or, um you know making the romans crucify him because they considered what he was saying blasphemy so this and this is the teaching throughout the New Testament that Jesus is the embodiment of Yahweh. He is Yahweh in the flesh as a human being, and Jesus reveals to us the nature of Yahweh because they 're one person. Many people think that god that Yahweh is like the angry God of the Old Testament, and then we have Jesus, which is the kind God of the New Testament, but the reality is that they 're both one, they have the same mind, okay, and that jesus was was with God. Or with, he, he was part of what was happening in the Old Testament and that both Yahweh and, well, I shouldn't really say it that way, that, that God um, as, as the Trinity was operating together in the New Testament, Father, Son and Spirit. They all have the same mind, the same agenda, the same heartbeat and we see elements of the characteristics of God um, you know, throughout and we're going to get to that in a minute. So does anyone know what is the most quoted scripture in scripture what is the most quoted bible passage in the bible Anyone have any ideas John 3 That's a good idea That's probably I think that's the most popular um popular scripture do not fear. That's also a good answer. Jesus wept. I think that's only said once. Andy? Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get to it, but we need to go to the back story. The, the verse is found in Exodus. The passage is found in Exodus. So going back to Moses, we see something really interesting. We see that he's seen God move in mighty ways. He's seen God part the Red Sea. He's seen God take them out of Egypt. He's seen all the plagues happen, which has enabled them to be rescued. Um, he's also seen that God providing for them miraculously in the desert. Not only that, God met with—sorry, uh, Moses met with God in a pillar of cloud and fire. And it says in chapter 33 that he talked with God as a friend talks to a friend. But Moses wanted more. That wasn't enough for him. He said this. He said, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your now your way that I may know you and that I may f- find grace in your sight. So Moses wanted something more. He wanted to go deeper with God. And at the beginning of chapter 34, um, Oh, sorry, I'm stepping. I need to go back. Oh, there we go. Yeah, At the beginning of chapter 34, God commands Moses to to remake the Ten Commandments. Again, I'm not going to go into the story. Moses previously broke the first um, commandments, the the tablets, and then God told him to make uh, new ones. And um, here we find, later in that chapter, the most quoted passage in Scripture, by Scripture. And that is... um, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And this really is the part that is quoted. It says, The Lord, or Yahweh, the Lord God, Yahweh El, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now these words that God spoke to Moses are repeatedly quoted throughout the Bible. And it's almost like a signature, confirming again and again the authority, consistency and the validity of God's commandments and laws. Sometimes God quotes it. Sometimes he's reminding them of who he is. And sometimes he's, sometimes it's people that are quoting it, and they're actually using it to call upon God's name, to say, Lord, have you forgotten us? This is what you're like. This is what you've promised um, to be to us. And in this, he's revealing some elements, core elements of his character and nature. Some of these are easy to understand and embrace. Others are more difficult, and we'll get to that in a bit. But these are attributes that will never change. In other words, remember, God said I am what I am or what I will be I will be they won't fit around us they won't fit around our agendas so let's look at some of these things grace and compassion it's quite easy for us to understand Um, we see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament we see it in um, the life of Jesus how he was moved to action he was moved to action to meet thousands of people's needs Um, he performed miracles to feed them he also stopped for the individual Um, we see this in the old testament too we see how God was driven to action um, to meet the needs of and the pains of his people we see how um, he heard the cries of the people in Egypt when they were slaves and he performed mighty miracles to rescue them and he knew how bad they were going to be later he knew how they were going to fall how they were going to grumble do you know that they got to a point where they wanted to go back to Egypt they hated things so much that they were about to stone Moses to death that's how much they were you know against Moses and against God they worshipped other gods even after God had done all of that for them and yet still God showed compassion and so God rescued them And there were many other examples in the Old Testament of how God reached out to individuals in need. So we see it throughout the Bible, his grace and compassion. In fact, it says in Nehemiah, it's looking back over this um, story. It says, for 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Can you imagine this? People in the desert for forty years, and their feet did not even swell up. Their clothes did not even wear out because God was looking after them. Isn't that amazing? So, we see this in both testaments. Even the Old Testament laws have a design in them to protect the weak and the vulnerable, and to hold life in high value. So, you can't argue that the old, the the God who we see in the Old Testament is. Um, lacking in compassion. Slow to anger. Do you know who the oldest man in the Bible is? Who's the oldest man? Who lived to the longest? Methuselah, yeah. 969 years. And the reason why is because something to do with his name. It means when he dies, it will happen. And what it's talking about is the flood of Noah. As soon as Methuselah died, God brought the flood. Because Methuselah's birth was um, a, a point where God had decided this is going to happen and we're going to wait until when he dies, it will happen. It took him 969 years for God to finally get to the point where he was ready to, to pull the plug. And that's a long time to give people opportunity to repent. You know, we sometimes think, how could God be so harsh to, to do the flood? Um, I think we have no idea how bad things were. The Bible says that um, it says that in all man 's hearts that, that they had evil continually. Can you imagine how bad that must be? I mean even some of the the most evil people you can think of even are good to their kids or you know do some good things. but that was how bad things were, and added to that we had This whole thing in in Genesis 6 with the giants coming and all of that. So I think this was a terrible world. But even then, God was very uh, resistant to bringing his judgment. And it took him 969 years to wait until Methuselah died to then bring the flood. God is slow to anger. Goodness and truth. So abounding in goodness and truth. Or love and faithfulness are also good Um, translations of these words and we see God's goodness we see his love we see his faithfulness I think first and foremost in the gospel and by giving and sending Jesus the father sends his son because the father loves us and Jesus willingly goes the son willingly goes he leaves his throne of heaven and he enters our human race He dies on a cross. He suffers the torture. And he does it to rescue a lost humanity. And he becomes a human forever because of his love for us. And in this, the love of God is clearly shown. There's so much more that could be said here. But for the sake of time, I'm going to move on. Um, Forgiving sin. It's important to remember that God doesn't just forgive sin because he thinks he should. He doesn't just um, forgive sin because Jesus is in heaven trying to convince the Father um, that he needs to do it. He forgives because he is a forgiving God. He's a God who has forgiveness in his heart. It's what he wants to do. He wants to forgive. And it's there throughout the scripture, both Old and New Testaments, that God forgives sin. But then we get to this. Not clearing the guilty. So, which is it then? How does it work? Because we've all been guilty. So, does he forgive sin or does he punish sin? Okay. You see where it gets a bit tricky? Well, the answer is yes. He does. Both. But it's up to us who receives the punishment. It's up to you. Because we can pay for our own sin. Or we can repent and Jesus can pay for it. Because... He, the cross is Jesus paying for our sin. But it's not automatic. It is It requires our repentance. It requires us to turn around. And even in the Old Testament, this was true. Because people could repent. People could turn to God. You know, God was always constantly calling them to turn to him. Constantly calling them to, um, to turn away from other gods. Constantly calling them to you know, to walk in a righteous way. Um, So this offer of repentance has always gone out. Now the, the picture is more clear because we see the fullness of the story of how our repentance is possible and activated through the blood of Christ. So the reason why this is here is because ultimately there has to be Um, some form of judgment and punishment and accountability for sin because we live in a broken and evil world. We live in a world where there are many that don't remain repentant. And in some level, we all want justice. When we hear about things, um, about injustices in the world, we think something must be done. I don't know if you heard about the, um, the recent thing that came out. It's actually not very recent, but... Recently, there was a whole big thing about it with the postmasters in the post office and terrible things that happened. And I'm sure most of you watching that were thinking, these people should go to prison. You know, something's got to be done. Someone's got to pay for this. Someone's got to, you know, and we have that in us because it's just not right for, you know, people to destroy other people's lives and then for nothing to be done about that. So I think that that's... That, really is a reflection of the fact that justice is in the heart of God. You know, justice is in the heart of God. Um, we all want it, and yet the problem is, is that we don't want justice when it comes to us being the sinner. We want the consequences to just go away. And and the thing is that with justice, mercy triumphs over justice. And we can escape the punishment for our sin through Christ. Only through Christ. And that should really humble us because it's not through our goodness, it's through His goodness, it's through His work, through His salvation. And so justice is partly carried out in this life and it's partly carried out in Judgment Day because, you know, not all sin is paid for in this life. And everything in Judgment Day will be leveled out. That operation is led by Jesus, okay? Um, So justice is an essential part of God's character, whether we like it or not, in every situation. And now here's the next part, which is, I think, a very difficult part, which is this sentence here. It says that uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So how do we understand this? And I looked into this... um, a little bit. Um, Especially it's hard if you read the NIV because the NIV says um, the word punish instead of visit. So I've used, uh, when I've read this, I've used the New King James. But um, in NIV it says that he um, punishes the iniquity or the sins of the fathers. Okay, so this is a problem, I think. um, Because not only does it sound kind of very unfair that children is suffering because of their parents sin or being punished but there are actually scriptures that teach the opposite ezekiel 18 says um in verse 20 says the son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the the guilt of the son the righteousness shall be upon himself sorry the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself so this means that no one is being punished for someone else's sins So how does that work? So um, really, uh, the general consensus among commentators is that it is a form of punishment that it's talking about, um, that children do suffer as a result of their parents' sin, um, and it is true that there are natural consequences where sin continues from one generation to another, um, which is true. Um, We see this in the world all the time, where, you know, if, say, for example... Um, you know, someone's been living a, you know, like a, a terrible life. The children are more likely to follow in their footstep, footsteps. Sometimes cycles of abuse continue through generations as well. Lots of examples. Even decisions, like um, small decisions, can end up being big things as well. Um, I'm not sure about this um, answer. Uh, commentators also say that the punishment that God gives for sin is only for the unrepentant. So this is talking about people who don't repent. This is not talking about people who come to Christ. Um, so in other words, no one who repents and turns to God will be punished for their parents' sin. I see two problems with this. Okay? One is that the context of this is, is God's self-declaration. He's talking about God's nature, his character. This is who I am. This is what I do. And um, so he's talking about how God works intentionally, not just natural consequences the second problem I see with it is that um, even those who are repentant still sometimes suffer consequences of their parents sin so is that also a punishment from God so I'm just putting these things out there and and these are some of the things I've been wrestling with because I you know this is what the the commentators talk about Um, I would like to offer an alternative interpretation of the passage okay and that is comes with a caveat because I've not seen this interpretation anywhere Um, so this is where I think I would like you to go and do your own homework and see what you think but I looked up the word for visits which the NIV translates as punishes Um, and actually the word in Hebrew is pakad which means to attend to, to visit, to muster, to appoint can also be to punish or to call to remembrance. And the list does go on a little bit. And there are two other examples of the word being used. It says in uh, Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah, okay, when he gave her uh, a son, Isaac. And it was in the example where Sarah couldn't have a child. um, And God was saying, your pain hasn't been forgotten. He's not forgotten her pain. So it says that he visited Sarah. And after that, she was able to conceive. And she was given Isaac, a son. Okay, so that's one example. Another example is this. In Exodus 3.16, it says, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in in Egypt. In other words, God has taken the sin of the Egyptians into account. So I believe this is... This example is the closest picture of what we see, uh, or could be, um, an example of what we see in Exodus 34. That God is taking into account, so in this example, the, he's taking into account the sins of the Egyptians to keep them accountable. Or another word is that he was avenging the Israelites. Okay. So in Exodus 34, in this passage, we go back to this. I'll read it again. Um, It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So who is he talking about? What sin is he talking about? And who is he holding to account here? What it could be saying here is not that the children are being punished for their parents' sin, but that God is taking into account the sins of parents that affect their children and the children over three to four generations, and holding parents' accountable holding all of us accountable for the impact that we have on future generations and also holding t- into account the people who've gone before us and how they've affected our generation and this is this is a possible I'm not saying this is the interpretation I'm saying this is one possible interpretation because many people have bitterness towards their parents or over their grandparents over sins that have impacted them. It could be their physical health problems, it could be bad mindsets, it could be idolatry or deception. It certainly is true that uh, somebody who's brought up in a certain way is more likely to go down there. And God would take that into account. He would take into account that example. And it's clear that unless there is repentance and deliverance, sins can continue, cycles continue. But repentance can break the cycle. Now we are responsible for our own sin before God but much of the sin we struggle with does come from our forefathers and our upbringing. So this is this is one possible explanation. Like I said, I would encourage everyone to go and do your own searching on this. Okay? Open your Bible, open um search and see what you can find. Okay? If you've got any other ideas, please talk to me because, you know, this is something that I've wrestled with and I'd love to hear your thoughts and your points of view. So let's move on. We've looked at the name of God. So I think to summarize this is that whichever way we look at it, God is stating here that within his character is love, compassion, forgiveness and mercy and justice and all of those things wrapped up. We cannot get away from his justice, even if we want to. Um, It's there. It's part of who he is. And actually, um, as part of his justice, he will make a new world without evil and sin. And that's what we all want, really, isn't it? That's what we all want. And sometimes in the outworkings of God's justice, in his judgment, God does things that we can't explain and that we don't understand and that are uncomfortable for us. And we have to be okay with that. Whichever way this passage is understood, we have to be okay with the way that God um, does things and we have to come to terms with the fact that he's God and we're not. So we've looked at the meaning of the name and his signature. The signature of God is something we see time and time again, like I said before. It's like God reminding people who he is. It's a, and it's key for us, I think, as we get to know God, to understand um, and we walk with him. Um, we live in this world of tolerance and pluralization and the erosion of truth that we need to know that we're worshiping the right God and that we need to know that we're not just worshiping some airy fairy um, concoction of our imagination but we're we're worshiping the God as he's revealed in scripture because we're called to represent him and part of representing him means to display his love his mercy his compassion and these characteristics God and God wants us to know him on the terms that he's he's shown us. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, Moses walked with God closely. And if you read on, you see some amazing things that Moses does, some amazing things that he prays. And sometimes he calls upon this name. He calls upon God. You know, there was a a moment when Um, you know, God got very angry with the Israelites and he was going to start again. He said, you know, Moses, I want to start again with you. These other people, they were about to stone him to death. Most of us in that position would have said, you know what, God, go for it. Start again with me. But actually Moses said, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Aren't you a God of love and compassion? Aren't you a God of mercy? This is your name. How would the Egyptians act if they found out that you just gave up on the Israelites and you had to get rid of them? And it's, it kind of looks a bit like God changing his mind, which I'll leave that with you as well. Maybe he did. May, maybe he set a gap there for Moses to fill. But that's a question that probably we'll never know. And here's the thing, is that God wants us to interact with him on these terms. This is how Moses interacted with God. God wants us to interact with him on these terms because Moses knew the name of God. He knew the significance of his name. He knew his ways. <clears throat> and that is how god wants us to be and he wants us to always know that there's more to discover in god it's not enough just to simply know some things in our heads we need to embrace to experience these things and we need to live under their rule and reign and we need to let these things change our lives so that we can become more like god let's pray Father, we we come before you, Lord, and we acknowledge that you are higher, greater, and more powerful, and and, um, more good, and faithful, and loving than we can actually imagine. We acknowledge that you are God, and that we are not, and that you made us, and that it's not for us to tell you who you are, or you should be. And we thank you for how you've shown us in Scripture. You've given us um, clues of who you are. You've given us stories and you've told us what you're like. Help us to understand this, Lord. And even when we come across passages that are difficult and hard to interpret, Lord, and and weigh up, I pray that you give us wisdom and you give us insight to know what these things really mean. But Lord, I pray that we would be able to trust you. We'd be able to put our faith in you fully. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to walk with you even greater than Moses did because Moses was under an old covenant, Lord. But he showed us something powerful. So help us to move in a way that, um, you know, to learn from Moses and to learn from this, this walk, this friendship that he had with you, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us to be more the embodiment of Jesus that you've called us to be to reflect his character, to reflect your character, to reflect who you are and to shine that into the world, to show what you're like into the world around us. And I pray that each of us would have a deeper connection with you and search you out, want to have a a desire to search you out more and more um, day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.